Hello, friend, and welcome to the Rise Collective podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Jordan, and I'm honored to facilitate a place to gather and hear stories and teachings from our relations. Thank you for being here. If you find value in these episodes, you can become a patron and get exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash risecollective. Before we begin, let's call in our benevolent guides. We humbly give thanks for your assistance and support today. May our listeners hear what they need to hear in service of their highest good. And so it is. Hello there. Welcome to the Rise Collective Podcast. I'm Carrie Jordan, and this is episode number 11. Before we start, I'm just going to do a quick proactive reveal and let you know that I am nearing the end of my pregnancy and... My voice shakes a little bit when I speak, and I have a little bit of a hard time catching my breath sometimes when I'm talking. So you might notice that um, during during the next few podcast episodes or during the intros and outros. So bear with me. <laughs> Today, I am sharing my interview with Ariella Daly. This year, I went to France with Ariella on a retreat that she led based around the practices of the Path of Pollen. And we did a lot of oracular work with, which is um, the practice of seership and um, working with the sight. And if you've ever read The Mists of Avalon or um, worked with your own intuition, you might know what I'm talking about. So that whole trip was such an amazing experience. I had no idea what to expect because it seemed a little bit mysterious when I signed up, but I trusted Ariella and I had heard that the retreat from the year before was life-changing. So I went and it's an experience that I treasure and I'm so honored and so excited to share this interview with you, partly because uh, I I find this work a little bit challenging to to explain um, still in my infancy of discovering the path of pollen and Ariella does a beautiful job of articulating what it's all about and 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 what we're practicing when we are working with these ancient ways. So first, I want to let you know that I have a new Patreon page where you can contribute to the production of this Rise Collective podcast. And when you do that, you get a ton of exclusive and bonus content from podcast guests and exclusive blog posts, exclusive uh, podcast episodes, audio recordings, videos from me. And this Patreon page is really going to help me um, as I step into new motherhood because creating this podcast requires a lot of energy and money and time that is really going to decline in my world um, when this baby comes into the world. So I, I really believe in this shamanic work and this 
these ancient ways being shared with the world and using the Rise Collective podcast as a platform for so many of these wise people who are so generous with their knowledge and their wisdom. So um, if you also think that this is um, valuable work in the world, let's do this together. It's not It's not just me. It's not like my idea, my baby. I'm just a channel for it to come through. So let's do that together. Okay, now that we have that out of the way, the Patreon giveaway for this episode, thanks to Ariella for patrons at the $3 a month level, is the coupon code for 25% off Ariella's next online dreaming workshop. And you'll hear a little bit about how Ariella approaches dream work and how she teaches dream work. So you will have the opportunity to access that coupon code if you're a patron on patreon.com slash rise collective. Moving on in the show, we are talking about the path of pollen, which is an ancient um, shamanic way that is from ancient Greece, Lithuania, and the British Isles. How Ariella came to the path of pollen, how she stepped onto this path. The Sacred Trust, which is the only school that publicly teaches about the path of pollen in the world. How traditions that connect with your personal ancestral lineage can feel like roots. The value of teaching ancient ways and traditions through the oral tradition. How to become a voice of the earth and heal the natural world. If you don't know Ariella, I'm going to share a little bit more about her. She's a beekeeper, but she's not your average beekeeper. She calls herself a feminist beekeeper, and she's devoted to the preservation of the bee in her own sovereignty. For Ariella, honeybees are one of the great enigmas and wisdom teachers of the earth. And if you know anything about honeybees, you know how complex their world is and how complex they are as an organism, as individuals, um, and how much wisdom they hold, how much, how mysterious they really are, and how much is hard to understand about their reality. Ariella teaches about beekeeping and self-discovery through bee wisdom. For the past nine years, she's been tending hives, and for the past ten years, she's studied extensively under the Path of Pollen, a shamanic honeybee tradition based in the British Isles. Ariella integrates Path of Pollen techniques and practices into all of her bee tending courses and her workshops. The Path of Pollen does not teach beekeeping as we know it today, but it works with the honeybee as a living symbol, ally, and motif. Once again, if you are interested in taking Ariella's online dreaming, dream weaving, dream work course, um, I just took it and it was, I highly recommend it. It is 25% off and you can grab the coupon code by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash rise collective. Hi, Ariella. Thank you so much for joining us on the rise collective podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here and for us to dive in. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. So can you start by sharing about 
um, how you began on the path of pollen. I know that that's a big part of your work and um, a big part of your work with your bees in, in a spiritual sense. So that's kind of where I wanted to start from. Certainly, certainly, yeah. So the path of pollen, I should probably just say what it is. Um, the path of pollen is the name of a bee tradition, um, a form of bee shamanism. It's a European shamanic tradition that has its roots in Britain, Celtic culture, um, let's see, so Britain, Lithuania, and Greece. And there are what you could call practitioners and cells, hive cells, still practicing today in Lithuania to a degree behind the veil, so not publicly. The public face of the bee tradition is based in England at the Sacred Trust. And I've been traveling to the Sacred Trust for the past 10 years, um, almost yearly, uh, sometimes multiple times a year. And I've partaken in almost every one of the uh, Path of Pollen courses offered. I'm currently in a three-year program about to finish in a couple of months called the Return of the Pythoness. And so I've been working with this since the bees came to me. I would say that uh, I stepped into this tradition first and then the bees arrived. So I wasn't a beekeeper at the get-go. Really what happened was I went through a very serious heartbreak and the wonderful man from that heartbreak gifted me the book, The Shamanic Way of the Bee, during that period of grief and sadness. <clears throat> and I always joke that I had that moment from the never-ending story uh, <laughs> where the kid is reading the book and in the, in the book they're speaking directly to him and he realizes it and freaks out and takes the book <laughs> and chucks it across the room. I, I had that experience. I, <laughs> I chucked the book across the room, like shouted at it. Uh, I, I knew exactly what it was going to be on the wall. And I said it and I threw the well, Simon wrote it room, ran out of the house, grabbed my keys first um, and took off and went to Marin and just had to sit in the hills. And of course, in that moment had one of those very sort of half go to this place, half no. And then of course, a herd of albino white deer like showed up in the foreground going, going by and like, you've got to be kidding me life is magic there is magic and it was a restorative experience i was just so so heartbroken and i ended wow. up going to england after having an experience of being covered head to toe in bees so that's another story entirely but it was a series of synchronicities after that and it was a true true homecoming into um, my own what i would say felt like my own roots spiritually Wow, that's a beautiful story. It sounds like you're truly guided into this work. I would say so. Um, you know, I, I grew up really interested in folklore and, and fairy tale as a kid. And I, I came to my own spirituality probably around 15 and dove into herbalism. And that brought me down 
down the crooked path towards Celtic spirituality. I was a self-proclaimed witch and still am for many, many, many years. And in some ways was kind of playing at it until I came to this tradition and I really started to understand the depth of, uh, of, of growth and healing and magic and rejuvenation available in Western shamanism. Uh, and particularly with the bees as regenerative beings. Wow, there's something that really caught my attention about what you just said. Um, well, two things. One is you were talking about Celtic, um, Celtic shamanism. So I wanted to ask about your lineage, but the, the one that really caught my attention was when you said that you were kind of playing at being a witch for a while and that has my attention i'm i'm curious what you think what how you see the difference between playing at it and between really taking it seriously from and being in devotion in the way that i've seen you be in devotion can you speak to that yeah i can absolutely speak to that um what I would say is growing up as a native Californian, I'd say third generation native Californian, as a white settler in um, a really beautiful far Western land, I have always held, honestly, I still do, sort of a, a longing and a grief that I didn't understand. And that longing and grief, I, f I finally came to realize was for my own spiritual tradition from my own lineage and for a sense of loss of place and loss of home, even though I am utterly devoted to the beautiful land that I live in and the river that I grew up on and et cetera, et cetera. So with that came this searching and this longing for, for roots um, and, you know, both, both ancestral roots. I did a lot of studying of my genealogy and through and for, spiritual roots and it came to of course celtic spirituality I, I studied wicca as a as a kid when i was 15 16 and you know wicca is a, a more recent reclaimed tradition uh, looking at european paganism and i even i lived in ireland when i was in my 20s for a semester i studied uh, the conversion of, of paganism to Christianity. So I have this really deep uh, interest and uh, desire to understand what happened and what got lost and also what survived. And so the playing at, what I mean by that is there was this sort of deep longing and hope that the magic was real and it's possible to find your way back in and you know, following the threads of myths and stories and, you know, doing my due diligence and making my own rituals and practicing in a pagan community and celebrating the equinoxes and the solstices. And then I came to the path of pollen in England and found that some things did survive. And found a depth of practice and study that it was no longer like, oh, I, I hope this is real. Like, oh, this is, this is real. I'm seeing 
I'm seeing real healings happening for people. I'm seeing real transformation. I'm really starting to trust my intuition. I'm really trusting that oracular voice that's being developed. I am seeing a relationship with the land that I couldn't access back home. And now I can, but I had to go back to my quote unquote homeland or ancestral homelands to start to develop that relationship to land that is so necessary for any earth-based tradition. So when I say I was playing at it, it was because I was trying to access an earth-based tradition, but I hadn't found my roots in. And now I feel like I have roots into places and I feel like I've claimed that sense of self and place in California and no longer have this grief that I'm not in England or Ireland or Scotland or Wales or Brittany, which is the entirety of my heritage. I'm a very, mm -hmm. very much a Celt. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by playing at, not to diminish the Wicca tradition or, um, or neo-paganism, but just needed something older and and the other piece that I would say is finding something that you know I had a friend once ask me hey you know the tradition you're part of does it hold water so much of what happened in European shamanic um, and indigenous traditions just got stamped out again and again and again and again and again and particularly around women's traditions it stamped out again and again and again and watered down and and it's like a piece of pottery that's fractured that can't hold water so does what you do does it hold water for you and the answer is yes it holds water because I can see where things had to hide in plain sight in places like women's weaving traditions and storytelling, and uh, the distaff and the spindle, and the broomstick. So this is a place where I found both the indefinitely ancient and the ever new of a living tradition. I, I love the metaphor of the roots, finding roots, and the metaphor of the cracked pot, and that this holds water. And I, when you were talking about how these traditions have need to, needed to stay veiled in some ways, I get curious about, I've heard you speak about this and how the path of, how you hold the path of pollen and how your teachers hold the path of pollen um, and how it needs to be passed through the oral tradition and so I was wondering if you could speak to that, like what is the value in mm. the oral tradition and, and also what is the value in keeping it veiled versus having this balance of keeping it veiled and having it public via the sacred trust in England? Yeah, absolutely. Lots of things to speak to. Let's see here. Well, Within the Celtic mythos, there's a there's we we talk about the veil between the worlds, and that doesn't just belong to the Celtic tradition, but I'll speak to it in that way. And the veil between the worlds is it speaks to this sense of the more than human world, the spirit world, the dream world, 
that there's this physical reality that we know, and then there's this fully benevolent, um, tangible other world that can be passed through through a thin veil. And bees are actually seen as uh, messengers that can travel quite easily between the worlds, can cross through the veil. We talk about times when the veil is thin, for instance, May 1st, Beltane, or November 1st, Samhain, we call Halloween, or times when the veil between the worlds are thin, is thin, and we can access spirit more readily. And so I like that as an understanding of, of what a veil is. When, when I speak to the tradition having a quality of being veiled, it's not so much that there's um, secrets that you have to be initiated into, although there, there, there is or there may be, um, but more that we, we live in a culture that's very, we consume, that we're, you know, we're consumers. So we, we want a lot of information. We're very much in our heads. We're very intellectual. And so we, we consume a lot. We read a lot, which is great. Reading is great. We watch a lot. We're very visual. visual. And we, we want as much as possible quickly. And that actually happens with our spiritual, um, how we consume spiritually as well. There's this, what I would call this spiritual hunger in the in the West, in Western culture, this void that we're trying to fill because we haven't necessarily been raised close to the land and we haven't been raised to be in relationship with the thunderstorm rolling across the sky and with the shoots of new fresh greens coming up in the spring. There's a relational quality to the living myth of the land and the living myth of our own lives. And when we when we listen through story and when we listen through traditions being passed down in an oral way it lands differently and it takes its time so i could sit here and on this podcast i could tell you all of the the um practices and big epiphanies and secrets, quote unquote, around the path of pollen. And that would do you absolutely no good because it wouldn't have landed in you. And it wouldn't have, you, w- you would be robbed of the chance to discover the mystery yourself. And when I say discover the mystery, I mean, in the tradition um, that, that I've been, I, I quote unquote, raised in, you know, we'll be given a practice and it's pick kind of most basic form and then taught to go seek it out yourself. Go find it. And so I'll find these beautiful truths. I'll have these big epiphanies. I'll have these moments with spirit. I'll see things. I'll hear things. I'll understand things. And then maybe a year later, I'm back in the room and I'm listening to a knowledge lecture, which is a form of the oral tradition passed down where we, we listen in silence to a piece of um, a, a lecture that is something we never take notes on. So it's a piece of knowledge passed on. And right there will be all of these things that I had discovered on my own through the practices that land in a way that's so much more profound because I also found it myself and it took time. 
And so we need the time to gestate, to, gen to, to discover, to come to the truths on our own. It, it, we can't just be told. And that's part of the power of an oral tradition is it awakens the, the imaginal realms. We need the imagination. I remember, it, I know this is kind of tangential, but this is a great little story. I remember when I was very sick with the chicken pox as a kid, uh, my mother rented the movie Cinderella, the Disney cartoon. And it was very late at night. I couldn't sleep. And she said, I, I will play this movie for you. But first, I want you to imagine Cinderella in your head. You know her story. Yeah. Okay. I want you to see the Cinderella that you see. My thought about it and I had the story she said when I play this movie for you the Cinderella that is on the screen will replace the one in your head so I want you to decide if you're ready for the one in your head that you've imagined to go away and of course I was a kid so I made that decision as a grave little child thinking <laughs> about it and I watched the movie and but it was true and I felt that loss because it did go away I couldn't retain the one I had imagined quite as well she got replaced by the Disney character on the screen yeah and so when we're working with our own interpretations of of oral tradition it it kind of roots down into us in a particular way yeah I would say so. It, 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 I, I say it lands. I like the idea, um, and this isn't my own, mm -hmm. this comes from my teachers, but it lands like, like drops of nectar on the skin. And mm -hmm. the thing is, you're also working with mnemonic techniques of, of remembering. And there's a few different ways that we're remembering. So let's say you hear a story or you hear a body of information. You might go out and recapitulate it in, in notes, for instance, and that's practicing that ability to retain and bring information forward, which is really important in, for instance, dream work. Um, but then other parts of it are landing like seeds deep in, in you, and they're waiting for the time to to sprout, to flower, to be remembered, to arrive into your consciousness in a different way. And some of that learning is going to come through body memory. Some of it's going to come through dreams. Some of it's going to come through aha moments. And it doesn't all have to be retained in this kind of linear way that we're used to needing to remember things as scholars and intellectual folks. Not to say there's anything wrong with that. I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> I love, love, love to research. But it, it is definitely something to bring forward an oral tradition, a, a living tradition in these times. And my teachers, you know, the, they're the first to bring it forward publicly prior to them it really sat behind the veil so prior to Simon and Naomi and Kate Sheila it it really sat behind the veil so to speak and was taught in much more um, celibatic fashion as in in small groups of of usually six people uh, with one teacher and that's changed it's it's morphed into something that has a public face and that's still edgy Honestly, as someone who's um, very protective of the way things can get so watered down in our um, spiritually 
a consuming culture, how do you how do you let something be continually ever new, continually creating itself, continually being created by the people who bring it to life and, and pass it on without losing the potency and without losing um, without sort of the cherry picking that can happen. I, I don't know the answer, but I'll try to stay true to it as much as possible while at the same time not getting dogmatic or hierarchical about it in any way because it's not mine. It's something to share. Yeah, it seems like the oral tradition is in dr direct contrast to our modern world that you were describing in the beginning of that section of um, how we like to read and we're constantly consuming and this is a completely different way of integrating information and wisdom. I'm curious if you have an eye on ways that we can bring to bear this, this ancient tradition and this ancient wisdom into the modern world. Um, at our retreat when we were in France, we were you were sharing about how um, this oracular, the oracular component of this tradition is a way to be in service to the earth. And so could you speak to how people who do practice these ways can, can really be in service through, through the tradition? Absolutely. Uh, I can speak to myself more than, people at large because it's it's not mine to say what other women are doing necessarily and men um so i need to give a little bit of background and the background is that the the some of the roots of the tradition i did say go back to greece and particularly within that the oracular traditions in Greece and within that the traditions at Delphi. So Delphi is and was a famous oracular center and by oracular I mean uh, offering prophecy, uttering prophecy and that began with uttering prophecy from the earth so within the histories of the oracular tradition the earth gaia was the first oracle and she passed that on to her daughter python or delphine and python was of course the serpentine living serpentine energy of the earth and that energy is inherently um, sexual in its being in the sense of that which creates and moves and travels the earth and watery ways of creation below the surface in the clathonic realms and rises up and speaks through her priestesses so then the first women received their teachings from python as the the oracle of the earth and became voices for the earth and this is very different than being voices for a god, for instance, or for the sun god who later um, overtook the temple of Delphi, that being Apollo. So to be a, a voice of the earth is 
that there's a responsibility there. There's a potency there to be a voice for that which is ever renewing and creating is very potent. The women who offered that prophecy were called both Pythia uh, and in um, connection with Python and Melissa, which means honeybee. So there has always been this deep connection between the serpent and the bee as beings that can travel betwixt and between this world and the other world, the lower world and the upper world, the dream world and the waking world, the spirit world and the human world. And that, that aspect of being women who spoke prophecy of the earth and for the earth was overtaken eventually by, um, by patriarchy. And that story is well laid out. If you actually look at the current myth of Delphi and the slaying of the evil serpent Python, <laughs> so you can go look that up, but there are older ways of knowing. And so within the pollen tradition, we are working with bringing that back. It's very different than perhaps some clairvoyance and the working with it, being psychic, so to speak. It's, it's really working with this aspect of speaking from the earth, speaking with the earth, being a voice for the earth, and a reclamation of the potent, powerful feminine energies that are within the earth and reflected within the woman's body. That doesn't mean that there isn't a place for the masculine in the work and within women. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a place for men within the work and their men working with their own feminine energy and masculine energy. But it is to say that in my opinion, when we shifted into patriarchy, we shifted into a time that uh, really cut off the voice of the feminine as a voice of power and wisdom and we cut off a certain level of connection to um, the generative force of the feminine and of the, the mother and the work in learning to speak from that place, to speak, for instance, from the womb, to speak for the earth, to really listen to spirit as an animate force. And so that's not just listening uh, through dreams, but that's also paying attention to uh, the living land, what's happening in the landscape and how is the landscape both a living you know, physical landscape and a mythscape, and how do we bring that up through us, through our bodies, through this regenerative force that is the human body or woman's body, and and speak. So at this point, I do regular oracular work and practice with my bee sisters. So we we call each other bee sisters. Who those of us in a hive together who are doing this work, and it informs everything in my life from how to heal current health crises and that I'm a uh, current health crisis I'm going through to how to um, work in my business to uh, love life, like and anything and everything. I, I turn to this work both on a dream level and also in um, oracular work because I, I do believe that part of saving the earth is 
remembering that we are the earth and that we can be a voice for the earth. And as we heal ourselves and heal that rift between what we consider the human and the rest of the natural world, we are healing the natural world and we become, we become vessels for that healing both internally and actively out externally in the world. Thank you. That answers, that answers that question really well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wanting to shift a little bit into your work with dreaming and um, kind of how it relates in this tradition its its role in this tradition and so can you speak to that and also how you how you started your dreaming practices absolutely yeah so within the pollen ways there's a tremendous amount of wineric work which means dream work and i can't really go into too many of the practices because again that's a a discovery thing that I wouldn't want to take away from someone who wanted to go learn in England or learn from me because there's there's kind of a way of going about it but I can say that there's a different approach for me at least at, at this point there's a different approach to dream work than perhaps uh, other other traditions out there i don't i don't know um for instance i don't focus on lucid dreaming in my dream work um, within the bee tradition and within working with bees there's a, a real sense of hive and hive community so i think the main difference that i just adore about the dream work that i do is that the dreams are done together and they're done they're shared There are so many beautiful cultures that work with sharing dreams or sleeping together. You can even go back to ancient Greece and see dream incubation centers and temples. And the Melissa were associated with these as well. Um, And there are other native traditions where people or indigenous traditions where people always dream together, always go to sleep together. So dreaming in community is a, is a beautiful practice that has really been honed in this work. And I have many different women and men that I do dream work with. So within these ways, we do something called dream mirroring, where we are going to give a very short explanation of something I teach over a period of time. We are reflecting on dreams as mirrors and everything that a mirror might hold in it. I do a lot of mirror work. Um, Carrie, you know that I do and teach what we call black mirror work. And just so nobody's freaked out, what? Black mirrors? Oh my gosh. Uh, Black mirror work is really about um, deeply encountering the velvet, nourishing, all all-knowing presence of creation that is the void and um, in some ways the the great maternal other that we are all come, you know, arriving from so we work with actual mirrors that are black as a way to um, see into that place of creation and we often do that with dream within the dream work as well but separately than that the idea of a mirror is is not so much 
something that interprets or something that figures out what your dreams are, but mirrors them back to you from many different angles. What we see in the mirror is both due to the mirror itself and also our perception. As an example, dreaming with someone, sharing your dream, and then receiving a mirror back, uh, what you're receiving back isn't necessarily the answer to what your dream means, but it, it might come it might come through any any way that their intuition is showing up for them. So it might come through as a phrase or as a scene or as a question or as a thread to pull that, that might send you down the rabbit hole. Hey, go look at this. I'm feeling this. I'm seeing this. So dream mirrors are very different. Beyond that, uh, I do... I do dream work in collectives. So for instance, I have a dreaming hive that I dream with every new and full moon for over three years now. And we get together and we mirror each other's dreams every two weeks. And we all dream on the same night together. So there's this idea of collective dream work, which is just so, so potent and magical to me and you could do it with two people but you could you could also do it i do it i do a dream mirror once a month with 18 women and then we synthesize those dreams so so that's pretty cool (laughs) yeah i'm curious what kind of things come out of those dreams you said earlier that the the oracular work really can inform any area of your life and what kind of synthesis com- can come out of those dreaming together nights? You know, one of the things that I love is the synchronicities that show up when you are dreaming together, especially when you've been dreaming together for a while. Um, I, I don't want to give any examples because I want to kind of trust the confidentiality of dreaming with that but particular group, but... At this point, we are often dreaming of very similar things. For instance, I can give an example. We might, three, three to six of us might dream about Africa or desert. And, and then there's that question of like, okay, why is this coming up in the collective? What's here? Why, why Africa right now? What are we needing to see? Um, sometimes there can be collective dreaming about healing for one woman and that can really reveal, you know, it's one thing to get something from one person, be like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, you know, for instance, I, I might be, I'm dealing with some stuff around liver. So I might ask for healing and not know that that's what's going on and have three or four different dream sisters mirror back something that's very specifically pointing to an area of my body or a modality of healing and that to me is profound when, when a group, when there can be a synthesis of, okay, here are all these dream pieces, here are all the mirrors coming through, and together it's all pointing towards, honey, you need to write a book or, like, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And, um, you know, you, you heard in, in Oracle someone say to me, yeah, honey, you need to write a book. Well, that had also been dreamt by other sisters and she didn't oh. know that 
she wasn't aware of that. And so I even asked her afterwards, like, did you know that that's been told to me a few times now in dream mirrors? And she was like, nope. Wow. So, so there's an example of the collective coming through, of spirit coming through. And, and how do I listen to that? Like, I don't know if I'm going to write a book tomorrow or like three years from now, but that's there. Spirit's knocking on the door and saying, hey, we have something for you that we want you to do. Mm. Hey, that's terrifying. <laughs> don't quote me on it. It's going to be like 10 years from now. I'm like, I wrote a pamphlet. But yeah, I, would, <laughs> I would love to write a book. <laughs> I, I think you will be writing a book sooner than you think. Um, I, I really like this practice in modern day because I've, I've read that indigenous, in indigenous villages, um, like in the Amazon or it kind of happens in different places around the world, that in the morning, the villagers will get together and listen to the menstruating women about what they dreamed about, since that's such an intuitive time. And it's what you're saying is really reminding me of that tradition and how we can bring that ancient practice from indigenous cultures and have it work for us in our modern lives. Yeah, I agree. And I think it also takes, you know, we got to unpick some knots here, some things we've believed for a long time. And one of the things that we've believed for a long time is that, um, is the psychology of dreams, which is great and has so much value. However, within that, we're told that your dreams are you and your subconscious conscience taking taking your day, your kind of week, the recent experiences you've had, things that you're working out and um, kind of distilling them down into some dreams. And some of it's just detritus and some of it's just your subconscious working things out. And, and we can look at it from a psychological perspective and understand it that way. And that's all fine and good, but it, in some ways it takes away the agency of, of spirit and that we are also, as, as uh, Martin Shaw likes to say, we're also being dreamt. We got dreamt. We are the earth dreaming herself. We are the heavens dreaming themselves. We are the sun dreaming itself into being. And I think there's an inherent understanding in indigenous cultures around the quality of, of the dream world being a, a real place and a place that is thin. I mean that in the Celtic sense of the thinness of the veil where spirit can reach us. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there are certain dreams where you're like, wow, yeah, I was just really working through some stuff, um, you know, from my day-to-day -day experience. And then there are dreams where you're like, something happened there. I got visited. I had an experience. I, I like, something got healed. That can happen in dreams. You can have full-on healings in dreams that you couldn't access with sort of your mind in the way. <laughs> And there are visitations both from, from, from actual from spirit in a, in a beautiful way through archetypes that we might call them archetypes in Jungian psychology, and also through those who have gone before us, and it's a way our ancestors can speak to us. And I've, I've had that direct experience. Um, I dreamt my grandfather the, the day he died. I was, a, I was asleep. Wow. I got a phone call. I didn't want to answer the phone. I kind of woke up, went into that sort of liminal, I don't know, state, fell back asleep and dreamt 
in a 15-minute window that my grandfather was standing with my father over the Sierra Nevada mountains saying, this is where I want to be buried. And then I watched as a, basically like a film role of everyone he had ever loved passed through my vision. And then the phone rang again. And the phone was my father calling a second time to tell me that his father had just died and that his father had requested to be buried in the Sierra Nevada mountains. So I, like, I don't need more proof than that. Like, my grandfather showed me his passing, and it was so beautiful. Wow, that is profound. And it all happened in a 15-minute window. Yeah, there's something to be said for the, the liminal space between waking and dreaming. Uh, there's deep, 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 deep dreams that happen in the middle of the night. And then there's sort of, there's this place that, ha- that, that we access that's kind of sleeping, kind of waking, um, kind of dreams kind of some part of you is still tuned into the rest of the world around you we often discount that place but it's it's a very very potent place for threshold experiences for dream work the liminal point betwixt and between is beloved to the bees and beloved to the melissae yeah i went there Last night, my experience of that liminal state is there's just a lot of messages that come through and it happens for me a lot at the, around the new moon and around the full moon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the moon is very, very tied to, to dream work and tied to women's cycles and women as dreaming, dreaming beings with the womb as our dreaming vessel. Yeah, I, um, as we're wrapping up here, I'm aware that we haven't really talked about your bees. (laughs) (laughs) They're like buzzing in my ear, like, what about us? So I I want you to kind of mention how you got into (laughs) beekeeping and a little bit (laughs) about your bees, because I think I have a story that they're just a huge part of your life and and your work. Is that accurate? Yeah, they, they are definitely present, <laughs> um, <laughs> present here in the call and, and present energetically. And, um, you know, they, they, they're, they're talking very loudly on the planet right now, the honeybees. Um, and I kind of see the honeybees as the, um, the, the flag for other pollinators that are struggling just as as well, but they're out there saying, okay, but we're, we're really going to, we're going to sound the, we're the clarion call. We're going to sound the bells and really that that's twofold. One, it's, it's, it's the alarm. Yeah. We're, we're not okay. Like we need to change how we are with the earth. We are at a, we're at the 11th hour. We're at a threshold place where a lot of wonderful good is very possible and I believe can happen, but we, we have to take that leap in a, in a different direction towards um, wholeness and healing. And, but the other is, is to say, Hey, you're also at a threshold location for, for, for a return, a a deepening, a, a dive into spirit that, um, that the bees hold. And I, I, I work with them both spiritually, um, metaphorically and quite physically the bees have absolutely changed my life. They have sent me so many messages um, from the quite profound to 
the very practical, which I love. I've gotten a lot of those messages through dreams. The bees have often informed me of like what's going on in the hives through dreams. They've grabbed my attention that way. If there's something going on that I need to pay attention to, the best example I give is when I dreamt about black widows for two weeks and didn't understand why and then woke up one day with a message from the bees that there's a black widow in the hive and I was like no way and I went in and sure enough there she was wow <laughs> yeah yeah so they 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 sent me dreams until I got the message but the bees you know the bees came to me people have read the to story, save your life story. you said yeah to save mm -hmm. my life um they came to me at a, at a time physically that well, okay, so first of all, the bees are full of magic, and that's just how it goes. That's my opinion. Uh, <laughs> I went to England um, to take a first course, the, the way of the Melissa, uh, take trust, and it, currently that work isn't offered in the United States. I do offer work that includes path of pollen teachings, but the actual workshops like the way of the Melissa aren't taught over here yet. So I was over there taking that course, and while I was over there, a wild swarm of honeybees moved into uh, my, the wall behind my bedroom. And so I started living with bees. I wasn't a beekeeper yet. I started building a hive the following February. Um, the bees had given me a message through dream work that I was going to become pregnant in February. <clears throat> and I did. It was, a, it was still a surprise, but I sure did. And... Um, and I spent the first few months while I was pregnant making, building a hive, preparing for bees. And then in uh, April, at 11 weeks, I miscarried. And it was a huge surprise for me as, as well. And it was a hospitalization and a surgery, and it was, it was pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know at the time that you could go through postpartum after miscarriage so I was I suffered from that for about five months I undiagnosed and wow. um, during that time a, a week after the miscarriage the I, I buried what I could that was left under the empty beehive and really prayed to the spirit of the child to send me bees and I, I got a call a week later that there was a swarm in a tree and I had never caught a swarm. I literally watched YouTube videos <laughs> to figure out how. <laughs> YouTube University. I know. <laughs> I went out, I caught a swarm. And, you know, the thing about working with bees is they, re they require um, ultimate presence. You can't be in your head. You have to be in your body. You have to be focused. You have to slow down. And they have this enigmatic, magical universe that they live within that has captivated human curiosity and devotion since we have the first records on, on hand. You know, their beekeeping was a thing in ancient Egypt and before. They have always been a mystery connected to life and death. And so they, they have taught me so much about death and so much about life. They are insistent on the fecundity and abundance of the earth. When you're working with, you know, a proverbial and literal bleed out in your body and feeling like you just, you just can't seem to stop bleeding out, which is what I was experiencing energetically. Like they patched me up and they brought me back to this sense of, of the abundance and fecundity and, and the will to live and the will to continue to flower against all odds. 
And that is what they do. Sounds like a beautiful relationship that you have with them. And yeah, they are so important to us. I love, I loved how you were talking about the threshold that we're in and on the earth and how they are really ushering us through the threshold and and telling us that we're at a threshold and all these messages that are coming through from, from the bees about the threshold. Like we can't, we can't do what we've been doing. Yeah. They're, they're not just popular right now for an arbitrary reason. It's people are into beekeeping because it's, it's time. Cause I feel like the bees came forward and, and we just, we just listened and just enough. And so now beekeeping is very popular and that's great because I love it and I teach it. And I also teach much more than beekeeping. You know, we're, we're also at a point where the very face and nature of beekeeping is changing. And there are, there's such a global community out there that's looking at like, how do we learn from the bees? There's even a conference called Learning from the Bees that I attended in Amsterdam last year where Heidi Herman, the, one of the people who put it together from the Natural Beekeeping Trust, talks about how we are gathered not as a bunch of beekeepers, but as bee people, people who are in devotion to the bee. What does that mean? You know, that's, that's a pretty amazing thing to think about. All of these people gathered because of this, this mysterious calling that the bees evoke in us to be in devotion to them. Wow. I still don't understand it, but I do think that it has something to do with being in devotion to life itself and to the, 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 the call of the earth that we're hearing within ourselves to be in right relationship and to learn from the earth as opposed to uh, deciding what the earth needs based on what, what humans need. Absolutely. I think that that is such a beautiful way to wrap up our conversation. What you just said, I, I want our listen, listeners to sit with that. So I want to thank you so much for coming on and also give you a chance to share where people can find you and your upcoming classes and um, if you have any, any offerings. Oh, thank you so much. Carrie, you have the best questions. They're so engaging. They really make me think. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So you can find me, um, you can find me on Instagram as beekeeping and skirts. A lot of people like to find me there. You can find me online at honeybeewild.com. So honeybee wild.com and you know I, I teach all sorts of things I do workshops I do uh, one-on-one uh, uh, Skype and phone teaching with as a mentor for beekeepers for dream work coming up in October I have another dreaming with bees five-week teleconference course where we meet once a week and we talk about uh, we, we do dream mirroring. So what I was talking about earlier in the course and anyone who's listening to the podcast, um, you are welcome to join. I'll even give you a discount for the course. So uh, let's see the discount 
is going to be 25% off the course. And again, it runs five weeks. It starts October 22nd. And that you can just enter in the discount code and go ahead and get that 25% off. And also uh, catch me at the end of October. I'm going to be one of the speakers at the Dream Summit for the Shift Network. So I'll be posting about that. But I'm really excited about that. That's exciting. <laughs> I know. I'm so happy about it. Is that yeah. going to be uh, recorded? Like, is that going to be broadcasted or is it more of a live yeah, event? Yeah, it's one of those conferences that you can listen to online. Um, you know, so they just have some of the coolest people. Last year they had Sandra Ingram and, uh, gosh, um, oh, what's his name? Robert Moss, uh, you know, so many of my favorite people, Sergio Magana. So it should be a really cool thing this year. You can wow. You were, will be in after. good company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's free, I think. I don't know. Maybe not. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll find that out and link, link to that for those listening. So thank you so much. This has been so juicy and deep and full of delicious nectar for people to work with. I imagine for, I imagine listeners will want to listen to this a few times. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. And it's just such a pleasure to get to talk to you. And I feel so lucky to have got to spend time with you in France. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all you listeners and dreamers and bee lovers out there. Thank you for taking in this episode. If you got value out of it, please take a screenshot and share it on Instagram and tag me, Carrie. I hope this interview inspired you. I'll put any relevant links in the show notes at therisecollective.org. You can find past episodes, my weekly blog, and products for sale at therisecollective.org. While you're there, download the guide to feminine goal setting and learn how to work in harmony with folk magic and the rhythms of the earth. Hundreds of women have used this method to weave magic into their lives. It's a simple guide and it'll help you towards fulfilling your soul's purpose. If you love this show, please consider supporting its production at patreon.com slash rise collective. Like I said, I can't do this alone. There are costs associated with this project. And if you, like me, believe that the voices of our indigenous elders and wisdom keepers need a platform to reach more people, please become a patron. It's so worth your while and you'll get gifts from podcast guests. I also provide guided meditations, bonus interviews, resource guides, videos, audios, and so much more. You can get all of this at just $3 a month. Thank you. And please subscribe in whatever app you listen to podcasts. I so appreciate you leaving a review so the show can reach more people. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to next time.